What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. When you're a minority or when you're the underdog, gives you a hunger. For me, the most important thing is that I take this company public because I would like to raise the image of a brown woman ringing the bell. And I want to make it easier for the next generations to come. Hello, and welcome to How to Lead a Sustainable Business. I'm Alana Weston, chairman of Selfridges Group, and I believe that sustainability will be the next big disruptor of my industry. It must be placed at the heart of business strategy if we're to overcome the climate crisis and transition to a cleaner and more just economy. Through this podcast, we'll learn what it takes to make change happen. We'll hear from the transformers and the innovators, those who've taken existing companies and redesigned their business models, and those who've started something new. This week, I'm joined by the architect and designer, Safia Qureshi. After many years designing beautiful buildings, Safia decided to take on the redesign of one of the most challenging aspects of the food service system, the lowly single-use coffee cup. The success of Cup Club won her the New Plastics Economy Award from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in 2019, and she's gone on to expand her system to address a wide range of single-use packaging including the ubiquitous home delivery tray. Safia is a true innovator and one who's transforming waste systems by bringing circular thinking to everyday consumption. The potential to reduce not only plastic pollution, but the average consumer's carbon footprint is enormous. Welcome to the podcast, Safia. Thank you for having me, Alana. It's a pleasure. Let's go back to where it all began. What was your first connection with sustainability? I think I was four and I was raised on a farm. My father started a dairy farm and I remember finding odd objects and wanting to make fishing lines to pull out sort of, you know, bags and plastic from places where they weren't meant to be. This is my games. It's what I found interesting. I do believe a lot in processing and ordering things, which is probably why I went on to become an architect. Everything has its place. And I always felt this isn't meant to be here. It's kind of instinctive, isn't it? That we know what belongs and what doesn't belong. And there is nothing more frustrating than eating a delicious meal and then having to fill up your recycling bin afterwards, or even worse, not being able to recycle what you've just eaten off. I mean, how did you 
end up here. You trained and practiced as an architect, and there's plenty of sustainability challenges to be solved in the built environment. So what made you move away and how has your architectural training informed what you do now? Selfishly, I wanted to build things that people could touch, experience, hold on to and talk about. And so I set up my path to really go for it. And I loved it. And I came out the other side and I felt, I felt my inner brief wasn't being answered. And by that, I meant the things that I was designing, very few people could actually enjoy. When I finished the buildings, I couldn't send my friends to visit it. They were private mostly. And so this doesn't really answer my brief. It was a strange, I guess, transition in some ways because I moved from an architecture school, which was the Bartlett, to a design school, which was the Royal College of Art. And so my world opened and I suddenly was in the midst of other forms of design. And I fell in love with the idea that I could take everything that I learned and come up with something that was innovative that just could be accessed by everybody. So tell us about Club Zero and how it works and and what is your vision for its potential to disrupt the single-use packaging system? We have now choices as consumers beyond meat. We have choices now as consumers beyond dairy. But right now, we do not have a choice beyond single-use plastics and single-use packaging. I call it landfill packaging because the reality of it, less than 1% gets recycled. And so I want to make that a reality for consumers. I want people to be like, you would like a latte? Would you like X milk or that milk? And would you like a reusable? It's not very long ago. I mean, my parents, probably your parents, would not have had a takeaway cup. I mean, I grew up with with tinfoil, you know, and I remember my aunts who'd grown up in the war actually washing the tinfoil and reusing it. So this disposable culture is really only a generation old. So how hard do you think it's going to be to disrupt the cult of convenience, so to speak, or reinterpret it so it remains convenient and all the things that we love about our busy lives and and to go, but actually adding another twist. I mean, maybe perhaps you better explain to us how it works and then we can talk about why it works. It would be about walking into your favorite cafe or restaurant, ordering, then providing you the option of, would you like a reusable? You register with Club Zero and they swipe your app and you have seven days to return it. You get points every time you return and those aggregate and give you discounts. On the retailer side, we provide our packaging as a service, right? So we're basically a rental business model. We then on top of that have developed a way that you can order this online. So working with Just Eat means that when you are selecting your menu dishes, it'll say Club Zero Reusable Food Box. You select that and you check out and your delivery will be in reusable packaging. And just tell us, how do you then dispose of it? Or at least how do you then return it? Where do you do that? Is that everywhere? So when a customer takes away, um, they are sometimes given the option of a return bag and they can drop off that bag at any of our locations. If they're ordering to home, they have two options. We can either come and collect it or they do the same. They drop it off to the nearest Club Zero location. It's a bit like Boris bikes for cups. 
pick it up one place and you can drop it off another place. And then eventually there'll be a network throughout cities where you can just bounce from one coffee to the next or from one sandwich to the next. And it just becomes part of life. And it's interesting you mentioned the bar spikes bit because our design brief is very similar. Design things that people will like in return versus love and keep. We almost had to try and not make it too desirable. So just like the Boris bikes, you're not going to take it home and show it off to your friends, <laughs> but it's going to do the job. Okay. So you've, you've given me your pitch. Tell me your startup story. How did it go? Were you lying in the bath when you came up with this idea? And who was the first person who said no? Who was the first person who said yes? I was actually on a train into Waterloo. And I noticed three guys holding identical paper cups. We got to the final stop, which is Waterloo, the doors open, and all of the three guys get off and throw in a bin, their cups, same bin. And I thought, instead of that single-use cup, what if that was a better design product? And instead of that bin, what if that was something I could service so I could get this thing back to the original location. Two days later, I was invited to something called the KTN network event, which was specifically to bring the design community, um, bring them into a room with public sector bodies. And I hadn't realized until I was there that the GLA had a big problem brief around pollution and uh, air quality. And so the environmental representative stood up and said, if anyone has any solutions to reduce the amount of waste and pollution and improve air quality in our city, please come forward. And so I quickly put together a team. We did some prototyping and they were like, this is great, but there's one problem. Consumers are not aware of the global plastics crisis. And so I knew I had to wait. And then, of course, it, it took off when it took off. And so how hard was it to convince? Because, of course, you've got to have restaurateurs or you know, cafe owners. How hard was it to convince them that this was something their customers needed and that they needed to disrupt the way that they dealt with, with packaging? For me, the first few years were really hard. I was actually pitching it in the sense of finding partners who would take care of our supply chain. So you've got to sell to them too. You've got to sell to manufacturers who are like, what are you on about? How is this going to catch on? It's very hard trying to, you know, build from nothing. Architects will tell you that sometimes it's harder building on a plain plot of land than it is next to other buildings because you have some constraint or some structure around you. But in a way, you didn't have a blank piece of paper. In a way, you had a whole village that's already built. And now you've got to squeeze something in between and tell people to do things in a different way or, or reroute themselves. I mean, how important is it to change the mindset of either consumers or retailers, manufacturers, other business people? How do you paint that picture of a different kind of future? Well, you sell them the vision, ultimately. You, the first question I ask is, do you want to have more sustainable products to give to your customers? Are your customers demanding it? Food and beverage retailers that do very well or businesses that do really well with, with working with us will have a big group of customers that hold them responsible, who ask them questions like, is this recyclable? Do you have anything that is more sustainable? Which bin do I put this in? 
etc., etc. Very hard to just have commercial interest at this stage because we're not competitive price-wise. The same with any new product, it's always premium. And so the way that we position it, we say to retailers is if you are looking for sustainable products, this is the thing for you. We're going to be the same price as compostables. So we know we're not the cheapest. If cost is the most important thing for you right now, then this is not for you right now. And so we have to have these conversations up front because it's a lot harder setting someone up only to take them down later. So you're a leader looking for other leaders um, in order to lead the customer. And what are the new mindsets around consumption? We talk about the circular economy, but also the sharing economy, the subscription economy. I mean, how do you see the future of how we consume? I don't think people are going to be fixated on owning things. There isn't this impetus to buy a car. There isn't an impetus to necessarily own a home. It's rent a home, long lease a home. And you look at a lot of the rental economy products and services, it gives people more flexibility, actually. And so we're seeing business models move in that direction. And it's funny because I was thinking about changes I've made in the last few years, you know, driving an electric car, mm. taking a Boris bike. And at first it feels clunky and it goes wrong and you find yourself in a service <laughs> station and somewhere in near Swindon not being able to charge. But, but ultimately you get used to it and then you can't believe that you ever lined up at a smelly petrol pump and it becomes normal. And I wonder how far away are we from this network of reusable cups just being the only way? I mean, how fast do you think you're going to be able to scale it? And and what will it take to actually take it to that next level? I mean, we have some amazing brands that we're going to be sharing news about shortly. Um, I think in the next two years, every brand will have a reusable packaging line. I can, I can write that down on a piece of paper and sign it for you. Is this going to be something that's legislated? Because one of the things I'm interested in is, is how much of this is being driven by legislation. It was very interesting to me that you started out with the GLA rather than, I don't know, Pret-a-Manger or something. It's, it's quite interesting that. And I'm wondering whether you think or you know if this legislation is coming and also whether you've done any customer research to understand whether this is something customers are insisting upon. So legislation for us is very favorable. In the European Union, you have the single-use plastics directive, and that has already had a heavy focus on food service packaging, which basically means by 2022, if you have a food and beverage outlet, you cannot serve disposable packaging if anyone is deciding to eat in. And so then they're going to start to extend that into takeaway. They've already banned all styrofoam packaging as of July across the European Union, as well as other small single-use formats. And this is just going to get more and more tighter over the next two years. The UK, in terms of its policy, is probably 18 months behind. The EU, I mean, it's a conversation that's currently being debated in Parliament, and the result of that will be out by the end of the year as to exactly how they're going to take on similar policies. So legislation is, is cracking the whip on single-use packaging, that's for sure. 
Now, when, when we talk about consumers, is this something that consumers want? Yes, people are very, very much concerned. However, the concern is there, but it has to be convenient. Well, it sounds very exciting. And so just going back to what you've learned as a leader moving from architecture, which is, you know, quite technical, very precise, um, but at the same time, complex. But now you're into something, the messy, kind of unpredictable world of the sustainability startup. I mean, how have you changed as a person and how do you see your style evolving to meet these new challenges? I mean, I always think life is in chapters. So for me, you know, my first chapter was the architect. My second chapter is the entrepreneur. I don't know what the third chapter is yet. <laughs> I'm not preempting it, but I think you have to allow yourself to live your life in chapters. And I think there's true value in, in doing that and exercising your brain because it can be, it can be remapped, it can be re-engineered and you can find new things and learn new things and meet new people all the way. It's a nice idea, this idea of chapters, because it kind of, um, it frees you up in a way to fail because it doesn't have to be the end of the book. I mean, do you think, what role do you think diversity has in thinking differently about problem solving? I mean, do you think that being a woman or coming from a diverse background has made a difference to you in the way you think? I, I, I partly use it as a, a point of differentiation, but it's harder. It's of course, be, being a person of color is harder in the world, 100%. Being a woman is harder if you're juggling a family and have a little one. So these things do stack up against you. What I would say is when you're a minority or when you're the underdog gives you a hunger. I have this energy and I have this excitement and it makes me, I think, more ambitious as a leader. You know, for me, the most important thing is that I don't sell to private equity, that I take this company public because I would like to raise the image of a brown woman ringing the bell. For me, that is an image I want to leave people with and I want to make it easier for the next generations to come. So... I kind of think that's a valuable thing. I think this is kind of like a blessing. I love that. I think that's that's incredibly, incredibly inspiring and energizing. I'm wondering if that you think that changes the kind of culture that you have in your organization. I mean, do you think that diversity is an important aspect of how you run your business? And what are the other elements of culture that you'd like to embed? I mean, it's a young company, but that you're trying to embed in your business. When you share some of your challenges, you realize a few things. We have a lot of work to do as women in leadership. There are certain norms that women don't currently feel empowered to say things that they want to say. What kind of things? I'm really interested. So for example, it's very hard as a young entrepreneur who's a woman to run a business and then also think about building a family around that. The general feedback is if you're about to have a kid, it's going to disrupt the business massively. You need to leave the business and put someone else in charge. So you need to remove yourself <laughs> and then do what you need to do over there and then come back. 
And that seems to be what majority of people think and feel. And I strongly disagree with that. So that's what I mean. We have to come a long way because women are not empowered to say, this is complete nonsense. Uh, I'm the business owner. I've built this business. I'm now going to have a family and I need my team to support my requirements. And I need my board to understand. And I need my board behind me. That is what an empowered leader needs to sound like. And I think we have a long way to go. And I think also we all have our own bias inside ourselves. I mean, I found myself the other day at a round table that me and my team had curated and I was the only woman. And you think, how did I, how did I let that happen? And it, and I genuinely, you know, I'm embarrassed for myself. It happens because those biases are so deeply ingrained in how you approach who's important in a room or a certain sector. And so it's quite exciting to see a younger woman of color actually saying, okay, well, how am I going to build this business? I mean, are you quite prescriptive? Does the architect in your mind and come in and say, I need to have a balance of women in this organization or color or age or anything like that? Or is it more organic and instinctive? I'm looking for people who, are, who have their brain just open. But we are a very diverse team. We have uh, a fantastic representation and so I'm, I'm less worried about that and more worried about mindsets now, making sure people have the right mindset. You know, are they, are they genuinely on a mission to eliminate single-use plastics? Do they practice this in their everyday life? I think that's, it's absolutely right to think about mindset and as you start to build culture. I mean, do you see yourself as an innovator, a disruptor, or a transformer and why? I'm going to say all three, partly because I think they come in stages. I think part of you coming up with an alternative universe or future has to be innovative. So it has to have step changes. It's projected into the future. And I think if you want to build something that's scalable, you have to disrupt the market. So you have to put a few people out of business (laughs) and almost remove a couple of people that are usually in the room making some piece of the pie. And then the third is transformation, which is when you change the mindset. And I'm not here to necessarily completely change mindsets. I'm just following the ones who are already on that path. But transformation comes after you've put your product into market and you've seen the results over a good period of time. Well, Safia, thank you so much for talking to me and uh, explaining how you're transforming this aspect of how we consume. And so now I'd like to move on to our quick fire round. What's your definition of sustainability? Thinking before you do, just planning. And is there such a thing as sustainable growth? Yes, ESG. So you can think about people, you can think about planet, and you can build governance to make it sustainable. 100%. And what's most important, customer demand, legislation, or innovation? To move our business forward is legislation. Legislation is going to be the one fastest thing that will speed the growth of this. And who will help us reach our climate goals fastest? The disruptors who bring us brand new products or the transformers who are changing the focus of existing brands? I would say disruptors. People love the new. I know this is terrible, but after a while, people get bored. 
and they're looking for the new, the better. Because we are, we're always, you know, trying to do something which is better than the existing thing. So the disruptor will definitely come in and people will move towards that. And what three things are essential to leading a sustainable business? Design, testing, and validating. So thinking very heavily about how you compose it, what is it, giving it to a few people and preparing yourself for some onslaught of lots of different kinds of feedback, changing it and improving it. And what three traits do you think leaders of sustainable businesses should have? So I think we need to connect more. I think sustainable businesses need to collaborate, actually. So interconnectivity. Positive affirmation, I think, is really key. And the third is being data-backed. <laughs> so not saying you're doing great things, using the word eco and other greenwashing descriptions, but actually measuring and saying this is what value we bring and using data and science to prove it. Safia Qureshi, thank you so much for coming on to How to Lead a Sustainable Business. My pleasure. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do take a moment to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This lets us know what you think and helps others to find the show. This episode was brought to you by Selfridges Group and Intelligence Squared. It was edited by Debbie Kilbride with technical assistance from Mark Roberts. The executive producer was Farah Jasset. I'm Alana Weston, and this is How to Lead a Sustainable Business. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Thank you.